listening to the New Century Multiverse, Panther Soul. Chapter 2 Temple Turnabout Colo Nash I make my way up the smooth, dark marble steps, untended for an age under the blanket of the snows, and yet smooth as glass. The tall, scarlet front doors part as I push against them, stepping forward into the shrine. Dark blue shadows stretch as mountain light skews in through high, ornately patterned windows. In front of the pair of us stands a dais with a plinth. Torches line the walls, and I fish from my shoulder bag a smooth metallic round stone. Dalesh looks at it quizzically, and I squeeze the device, sending a small bloom of fire up to set light to the old kindling. I put the flamestone back into my bag and ignore her widened, curious eyes, using the lit torch to ignite the others around the room. They illuminate emptiness. Neatly arranged piles of stones and carvings of animals are gathered upon the dais. An ovular, earthenware disc sits atop it, resembling a wide platter. And behind that, the image of Zhao, the cat of many species. Stripes spots immense saber fangs, pointed ears, hung with jade rings, whiskers of gold. Is this it? She asks. This is what you came for? Will you pray now? I do not reply. Instead I return to the center of the room, smaller than the shrine would appear on the outside, and stroke my chin, staring at the altar. I know the wilds of Zawan monks. I just hope I am not wrong in this assumption I have reached or there will be a pointless death. I push back through the doors and step out into the sun, leaving Dalesh peeking through, wondering if I am crazed with disappointment. A capra looks up, chewing thoughtfully. I spring upon it, clearing the distance between us in two bounds, careering dangerously close to the cliff edge as I hold it. This is going to be messy. After the recovery of what I need, I stalk up the steps and on into the shrine as Dalesh scuttles backwards, moving aside the door for me. I hold up the captor's severed head, looking into his surprised, staring eyes. I give my thanks before resting this offering upon the earthenware platter. Go well. Be at peace. Find your next place to be. Nothing happens. I click my tongue irritably as my tail switches back and forth. Then I reach out and rest a single pad upon the wide, still warm neck of the Capra, and I push down with a little force. Immediately the shrine grinds into life as the dais descends into the floor. I can hear great stone cogs rolling, and the image of Zhao before us opens up as the offering disappears into the bowels of the temple we have just unlocked. An antechamber paved in the same smooth black marble now stands before us, and Dalesh looks about, ears pricking up. I remember my first reaction to a similar place, 
and feel a warmth towards this leopard as we step beyond the antechamber, passing through another doorway and into the sun. One entire wall of the next room opens out into bare sky to our right. A dazzling view of the mountainside leading down smoothly all the way to the little village of Surish, where my guide was born. She gazes down with an ambivalent expression. Part of it is definitely affection. Across the room is another scarlet door, and between us and that exit is a short drop down to an icy floor. To our left, on this raised platform, stands a great block of ice, and to our right, an array of identical tall brown ceramic jars. Dalesh steps towards the center of the room, but before she can hop down onto the smooth white sheet, I stop her. Something is prickling at me, and again, I know Zawans. I find a heavy stone and drop it down. Cracks straight through the ice, revealing a cluster of barbed points that she nearly set her paw pads onto. Dalesh hisses and steps back as I go to sniff the jars. Palafin oil, the same as I keep in my flamestone. I look at the lake of brittle ice before us and imagine the hundreds of tiny spikes just waiting to ruin our bodies, nestling below the surface. I lift one of the jars up and pour out the oil over the ice. There is a slight slope, and the puddle spreads out and over. I lower my torch to touch the nearest edge of the pungent amber liquid. Fire quickly roars across the space in front of us, turning the ice floor into a chasm of serrated edges. So we can see them, that doesn't mean getting across is going to be any easier. We stand there a moment longer as I glance across to the other side of the room and spot rounded, broad, bronze shields hung upon the wall, far out of reach. There are none on this side. I start to wonder about where I am standing and whether I need to go and fashion a shield to bear me across this short, deadly channel. Then I examine the left wall and find it utterly smooth. I glance up to find the ceiling is the same. In fact, it is exactly the same, mirroring the wall in every way. Then my mind goes to the grinding stone cogs, unseen behind the door we walked through. Zawan temples are puzzles within puzzles. This is why I adore the cats who came up with these riddles of stone and metal in the deep yesterday. Their philosophy prized cunning over brute force, and those who barged through would come to a sticky end, pointy things protruding from their mangled carcasses. My eye falls upon the block of ice, and I crouch to examine what I thought was a shadow, but is in fact a dark shape inside. Oil, I call, gesturing to the jars. Dalesh obliges and carries a second to me, I splash the contents down over the ice block and set it alight. The rigid prison melts away as orange flames lick over an obsidian wheel, the last of the oil seeping into its crevices, lubricating the mechanism. I gesture to Dalash to help me, and we turn the wheel. 
begins to grind and rotate, and the open sky to our right shifts until it is beneath us, a sheer drop down the snowy peak. True to form, the moving of the wheel does not require massive physical strength. Unseen gears are bearing the weight and making the heavier movements for us. The savage black spikes that were previously the floor move across to the left poor side of the room. As we push the wheel home, there is a loud click and long poles emerge from between the spikes, forming a pathway to leap between and make our crossing. The door has opened at the far end. Dalesh eyes the smooth right wall that was previously the ceiling and pushes on the wheel again. If we can make that the floor, our journey will be easy. The wheel will move no further, and rotating it back the way it came leads to the same sticking point. The door closes once more until we put the abyss beneath us again. This is the only way. Dalesh looks at the horizontal bars before us, and then beneath them, down at the empty sky and the near vertical slope of snow. She trembles. Stay put, I tell her, limbering my shoulders up as I stare intently at the way across. These poles might not bear my weight. They might snap and send me cascading down. I must hold on to them for only a moment each as I swing. I spring out, bouncing between the bars over the frozen abyss, not looking down always only at the next bar. With a final heave, I land safely on the other side, and only then do I allow myself to imagine what the fall would have done. Dalesh has her paws bunched up and breathes a sigh of relief <sighs> as I alight the far shore. I motion for her to stay where she is and turn to observe the now open door, through which is a tunnel. My hackles are up once more. I smell death this time. Huddled before me, I see still mounds of bones. Some of them end neatly in a clean edge. Old blood is soaked into the floor, crystallized with the cold. The tunnel itself seems to be carved out of the rock, with smooth, tapering sections curving down to a floor paved with square flagstones, each etched with carvings of the monk's mythology. I crouch and examine the wording of the first flagstone. The Teeth of Zhao. I cast my mind back to the saber fangs of the effigy on the wall. Dalesh calls out to me. Kolo, um, what can you see? I see what is left of those who trusted only to their speed. I call back. I reach out and press my paw to the first flagstone. It clicks and I whip my limb back as a great scythe blade bellows past me. I have held myself snock still, but my eye falls upon half a whisker that floats down to the ground. <coughs> Dalesh swears. As this first blade had rushed by, I had spotted another some way down the tunnel, doing the same. This cannot be sprinted through. I would escape the one behind me, but be caught by the one in front. I rise up and examine the paving stones. They are broad enough for a tiger to stand on. I am deeply thankful for this. Had their sect been composed entirely of ocelots, there would literally be no way through 
for a panther like me. But they did want to be able to pass back and forth themselves. I think of their battle trances, and that sense of calm detachment I've read about, and I suspect what they want me to do. I tuck my tail in, making myself a tall spire, holding my forepaws by my sides. No aggression, no rushing, only calm, centered, deliberate steps. I take a deep breath and dart forward onto the first stone. The blade screams by behind me. As its twin carves the air I might have bounded forwards into, Dalesh squeaks in fright as she watches me take my second step. I was absolutely right to keep her back there. This would be her death. Two more blades, the second one in front of me, actually closer than the first of me. I take my third step, and my fourth, keeping my eyes down at the floor. Utter precision in my timed movements. I can now see the room up ahead, and a narrow crevice to crawl through. I'm sure I can do that too, and this is when I get cocky. I take my fifth and sixth steps slightly out of pace with the previous ones, and I feel a sudden smarting pain in my tail. I dare not even look at it. Merely turning my body to observe would create a different shape to the tall tower they wish me to be. I breathe through the pain and make my final two steps with the measured momentum that this trial demands. I clear the last wizard blade and glance about myself. It is a cramped micro-chamber adorned with snow. I see spots of red dropping down onto the pure white surface and curl my tail up to inspect it at last. The tip is gone. I lick at the wound sorrowfully and fish a medicine pouch from my shoulder bag, swiftly cleansing and binding it. Uh, are you alright? Talesh calls from far behind me. Yes, I call back. My injury was my own fault. I stopped respecting this place for a moment, and Zao bit me hard. The sun is beginning to lower. She warns. Night is approaching. Be fast. I turn back to the crevice. It is narrower than I first thought. I remove my outer fur coat and my shoulder bag, then take off my belt. Too many thick pouches that might catch on something. I squint through to the other side. There are shadowed shapes back there. This thin choke point may simply be to prevent too many from passing beyond here too fast. If the monks were under attack, they might retreat to the sanctum beyond. That was where they would have kept their most precious treasure. The statue of Zura, Zhao's first and favorite mate. Both male and female, a simultaneous god and goddess of wisdom, agility, and inspiration. Zura was who young Zawans prayed to when they faced tests and obstacles in life. And it is Zura whom I seek today. I had best hurry. I push my paw into the crevice, feeling the slippery internal walls, and begin to work my shoulders in, sliding down as I do so. Those hackles rise uncontrollably as I smell something unexpected. I pull out, retrieve the flamestone from my bag, and ignite it, using the light to examine the base of the rift. 
I see raised, sharp, blade-like rocks, and getting my face close to them, I can smell an aged but still potent serpent venom coating their edges. I stand. If I push through, struggling to reach the other side, gravity will pull me past the slick walls until my paw pads slash themselves to ribbons on these poison teeth. What if I get up as high as possible? I lift the flamestone and, with a sinking feeling, make out matching, jagged crescents there, too. I stand for a moment, breathing, pondering, actually praying to Zura for inspiration. What is it you face? Dalesh cries out. I think of her standing back there, awkwardly, unable to help beside her wheel. Then I have it. Turn the room back the way it was, I call out. There is a pause, and then a great grinding sound. I glance back to see the sky, sunlight indeed fading, crossing over to the right wall of the first room as the doorway closes, obscuring Dalish from view. But the choke point in front of me moves too. Now the gap is horizontal, and it is wide enough to squeeze through without touching either of the deadly sides. Can you still hear me? I bellow. Uh, yes. Are you alright? Her voice is fainter, emanating through small square holes in the walls between us. I will be. Do not leave. I waste no time, grip the flamestone between my teeth, and push my body through, feeling my bones realign to accommodate for this immensely tight space. I pull and heave and wrench myself forward, staving off any panic that might take hold, focusing entirely on what is in front of me. I burst out of the narrow slit and into the wide final chamber. Some fading light illuminates part of the floor as I search for a torch by scent. When I finally manage to light one and hold it aloft, I stare, aghast, to find the place is empty. I look up and around and see the bodies of long-dead cats who squoze through the gap I'd just left before succumbing to the poison and dying in agony. I see what looks like an abandoned storeroom, stripped of its contents. This would not have been a last place to hold out in. This was a tomb. A resting place of finality. I search for frustration and anger, but something holds them in check. This cannot be what it seems. Dalesh's calls to me are now even more distant. I can just make out what she is saying. Um, uh, the sun is touching the horizon. I pace about, sniffing the old air, listening for the click of a trap. I gaze up at the ceiling, trying to work out what I have missed. It is lower than the one in the first room, but no less smooth. The walls cannot be scaled. Something is hidden. I search the floor and finally find a clue that piques my raptitude once again. It is a long, thin, dividing line between paving stones that stretches all the way over to the wall, whereupon it travels up towards... Turn the wheel one last time. I cry out and step back over the line. The 
grinding sound begins once more, and before my eyes, the subtle unseen gears turn the room on its axis. Not once, but twice. An additional floor, concealed above the false ceiling, emerges and sails slowly round over the right poor wall, culminating in front of me. A chest of red panels and black stone now stands in the center of the room. I cannot help it. A swagger takes hold of me as I approach my prize. It appears I was cunning and worthy enough. I unfasten the catch and take my time flinging back the heavy lid, savoring the moment before I will hold aloft the statue of Zura. The chest is empty. You have been listening to episode two of Panther Soul, Temple Turnabout. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Colo Nash, performed by Alex Shaw. Dalesh, performed by Shanta Parasuraman. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Panther Soul theme, Zard, composed and performed by Jason Bradley Livesey of Shockwave Sound. Firebrand, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Wusha Village, Floating Ice Castle, In the Shadows and Invisible Mountain, Ambience from Tabletop Audio. For the maximum New Century Multiverse experience, you need to be checking out the podcast Through the Wind Door, where Greg Downing and Toby Skills Jungius talk us through each story like a book club and go into mind-boggling depth. I don't know about you, but I like having my mind boggled. They're currently up to Steamheart. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Hellas Haryob, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. And if you want to read the entirety of Panther Soul right now, it is available in a gorgeous paperback on Amazon.com. Alternately, you can support this project for $10 on Patreon and get access to all the New Century ebooks and audiobooks. 